What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week, we got news from Alpha Wolf, Fit for a King, Water Parks, a radio rundown, and a deep dive on pop punk's unlikely savior, MGK. Go check out notetoscene.com and at notetoscene on Twitter to keep with all the latest news and numbers from the scene. You can listen to every song mentioned during this episode on the Note to Scene Spotify playlist. And as always, if you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. So Alpha Wolf released their new album, A Quiet Place to Die, on Sharptone Records last Friday, and damn, this is absolutely in the running against Lowe and Polaris for Metalcore Album of the Year. Shout out to Sharptone for making Metalcore just feel exciting again. This record absolutely bangs front to back. Golden Fate, Isolate, has an insanely fat groove. Acid Romance just sounds like complete violence. Rot in Pieces is eerie as hell. This record is pure Metalcore chaos, but still with a sense of refinement. It's an incredibly promising presentation from such a young band. I'm legitimately impressed. I'm at an 8.8 out of 10 on A Quiet Place to Die, and I cannot wait for shows to one day come back so I can see these guys. So if you like heavy music, do not sleep on this band. Moving on, Fit for a King's new album, The Path, officially sold 10,000 units first week. This is nuts. It's the band's biggest first week of their career, and they did it during a pandemic with no touring. I literally said last week that we shouldn't expect anything telltale of the band's size when it came to their first week, just because I didn't think that they could fully flex their muscle without being on the road, but I was absolutely fucking wrong. 8,700 of the 10,000 total was from traditional units, and 1,200 was from streaming. They also recently broke 1 million monthly listeners on Spotify and got their first radio play during the campaign for this cycle. Year after year, Fit for a King just keep pushing the bar higher to the biggest they've ever been, and I can confidently say heading into Q4 of 2020, Fit for a King are absolutely the biggest they've ever been right now. How fucking cool is that? In other news, Water Parks have signed to 300 Entertainment. So they released a new song last week called Low Key as Hell. It's pretty rough, some early 21 Pilots vibes, but Austin's incredibly annoying vocal quirks sound like nails on a chalkboard, and the track is really all over the place. The hook misses and the climax feels forced with very little to no structure. So there's no story there, but what's interesting is that they have signed 300 Entertainment, which is the same label as Megan Thee Stallion, Young Thug, YNW Melly, and others. 300 isn't technically a major, but their motto is, quote, having the mindset of an indie with the muscle of a major. They also have rock bands like Highly Suspect and The Hunna, but it's obvious their focus is hip-hop. We work with them a lot at XXL, and they do know how to push rappers, but I've seen no evidence that says they know how to develop rock or rock-adjacent bands. We'll see, though. End of the day, it's always good to see a band get off of a scene label and go up in direction. On to this week's radio rundown, lots to talk about this week. All Time Low maintained their number one spot on alternative radio with MGK's Bloody Valentine breathing down their necks. We'll see next week if they can fight him off again or if they'll begin their fall. Fearless Records band I Don't Know How But They Found Me's Leave Me Alone made another jump this week from 18 to 15. It's up nearly 20% in plays from last week. 
this band is just primed for alternative radio success, and I'm honestly a little surprised it's taken them this long to get any traction on there. They basically sound like if 21 Pilots sounded like Panic of the Disco's Pretty Odd, which I know is a complete nightmare, but we'll see where it goes from here. Like I said, it's destined for alternative radio success. Over at Rock Radio, I Prevail has broken the top 10 with Every Time You Leave, Bring Me the Horizon, Break Even, and number 20 with Parasite Eve. Expect that to start losing some ground over the next few weeks. Update on Bad Omens, they've officially broken the top 25 with limits, so this is starting to get more and more interesting every week. The next step is the top 20, so we'll see if they can break it. Ask and Alexandria are screaming up the chart with They Don't Want What We Want up from number 31 last week to number 26 this week. This should be a safe top 10 bet at this point. Bummer report from Motionless and Whites. Somebody told me cover. It's down from 33 to 38. It sucks because it's an absolutely fantastic cover, but it is what it is. And Fit for a King's Locked in My Head is still getting some spins at 42. Again, just so cool to see for that band. But that does it for this week's radio rundown. Moving on to this week's deep dive. So, last Friday, Machine Gun Kelly released his highly anticipated pop punk album, Tickets to My Downfall. It's one of only a handful of even peripherally pop punk related albums that have come out on a major label over the last decade. There is so much to unpack on this dive. It's honestly difficult to figure out where to start. Like, how the hell did we end up here? MGK just gave the scene one of the biggest commercial moments of the last 10 years. So I suppose let's go back to the beginning. Kelly was born Richard Colson Baker in 1992 in Houston, Texas. He dropped his first official album, Lace Up, in 2012. It sold 57,000 units first week and debuted at number four on the top 200. The instant success was due to the hype Kelly had built up from his mixtape run he went on before dropping his debut. There was a big mixtape movement in the late 2000s and early 2010s that helped launch rappers like J. Cole, Future, Wiz Khalifa, and others. Kelly didn't have as much momentum as those names did at that point, but 57,000 first week for your debut album ain't nothing to roll your eyes at, and Interscope obviously was prepared to keep pushing him. On Lace Up's intro track, Save Me, we have Kelly's first notable nod to the scene in the form of features from Avenged Sevenfold's M Shadows and Sinister Gates. Two years later, he performed multiple dates on Warp Tour. I actually found a picture from that summer of MGK, T-Mills, and Modson together. This is funny on multiple levels. As some of you might remember, T-Mills is a former MySpace rapper. He is now in a pop-punk band, actually, called Girlfriends, that's signed to Big Noise Music Group, which, from what I understand, isn't a major label, but has artists from everyone, such as rapper Lil Dicky to country icon Travis Tripp. Uh, bottom line, it's a 2020 pop-punk band with some actual money behind them. And as you also might remember, Mod's son was in both Four Letter Lie and Scary Kids Scaring Kids, then became a hippie rapper and has existed peripherally on this emo SoundCloud wave for the last half decade, but most importantly, has pretty much been by MGK's side throughout this entire pop punk chapter of his life, filming a ton of it. So long story short, it's a pretty cool picture that has a lot of intersecting points now, eight years later. Anyways, MGK played Warped in 2012, and then in 2013 featured on the lead single to Sleeping With Sirens, Feel, Alone, 
This album was Sleeping With Sirens' biggest commercial moment, selling 60,000 units first week, and Alone was the album's big single push. They even landed a Target deal to have the video put in their electronic section music reel. After this, still in 2013, Kelly dropped a mixtape called Black Flag, which featured a flip of Rise Against Swing Life Away that Kellen Quinn guested on. Looking back, that cover felt like his biggest scene moment. It was his song, he rewrote the lyrics, put together an arrangement, and chose to have one of the scene's biggest figures at the time on it. It's a complete banger, by the way, but unfortunately, it's not on streaming services, so you gotta listen on YouTube, but they did film a music video for it that has over 37 million views on it to date. But over the next few years, there wasn't many scene moments for Kelly. He had his career's biggest moment when he released a joint single with Camila Cabello called Bad things which peaked at number four on the hot 100 people don't seem to remember this but that song is really what launched camila's solo career because she was still in fifth harmony when the song came out super interesting timelines and situations there but obviously a deep dive for a different time on a different podcast Kelly returned to the scene peripherally in 2017 when he was announced to be the opening act for Linkin Park's North American headlining tour for what at the time was their new album, One More Light. The tour was later canceled due to the death of Chester Bennington, but Kelly released a really moving piano cover of Numb in tribute to Chester later that year. As most everyone knows by now, MGK got into a pretty heated beef with Eminem in 2018. M dissed Kelly on his song Not Alike because Kelly had said some things about M's then teenage daughter Haley in 2012 and then claimed M had him blackballed from the industry. Kelly responded with an entire diss track for M called Rap Devil, which the video for also has a hilarious random scene footnote. At the time when MGK filmed the video for Rap Devil, he was on tour with Fall Out Boy and Every Time I Die were opening. Apparently, MGK filmed the video outside of an arena in Buffalo that the tour was at that night and Every Time I Die got lost trying to figure out where they were supposed to park and there's a brief moment where you see them driving by in the background of the video trying to figure out where they're supposed to go. So random and honestly one of my favorite scene stories of all time. But anyways, obviously this beef was a huge look for MGK. He actually delivered on his diss track. It sounded great. He had some very solid bars and, and really went after M's throat in multiple ways. And then M responded and blew the doors off of the situation. We weren't sure if he was actually going to drop a diss track. He did. He probably shouldn't have. It blew up way bigger than it ever should have been. But Kelly benefited from it. But again, a deep dive for a different time on a different podcast. But I just wanted to paint the picture of how many different sectors of the industry MGK has been in and somehow made a pop punk album in 2020 and is about to have the biggest first week of his career because of it. Maybe everything was heading this direction the entire time, but either way, here we are. This chapter really started on June 7th, 2019, when he dropped I Think I'm Okay with Travis Barker and Youngblood. It was a full-on pop-punk onslaught reminiscent of the genre's glory days with verses that cooked, a hook that just exploded, and emotional, introspective lyrics. This has become Kelly's most streamed song on Spotify. 
aside from songs that he serves as the featured artist on. At one point, it was placed on Spotify's largest playlist, Today's Top Hits, which has over 26 million followers, and nearly made it on to the Hot 100, peaking at number four on the Bubbling Under Hot 100 chart. It's now certified platinum. I mean, this song was a huge win for our world and set him on the course to make Tickets to My Downfall. So the album is originally a 15-song release that came out on Interscope Records last Friday. A deluxe edition of the album came out today, Wednesday, with a bunch of bonus tracks, but we'll get to that in a second. The truth is, the album is great, and I said this when he released Bloody Valentine earlier this year, he's making better pop punk than 90% of the pop punk bands in the scene right now. These songs are simple, and that's the point. They honestly lean more into traditional pop punk than I thought they would, but bands, take this as a lesson. Pop punk bands especially, stop playing out of your ass and trying to be something you literally don't have the skill set to create. Dial it back, serve the song, and the outcomes will be so much better for literally everyone involved. And also to 90% of pop punk bands ever, yelling is not singing. There are truly only a handful of pop punk bands ever that have vocalists that can actually sing well. It's been so funny to me to see fans and dudes that are even in shitty low level pop punk bands say this album sucks because Kelly only sings in one tone. Dude, have you even listened to any of the pop punk bands in the scene over the last decade? Ben Barlow from Neck Deep, The Bro from Man Overboard, Joe from Knuckle Puck? Like, we've been listening to Nails on chalkboards for years now. And you want to shit on this because it's not diverse enough for you? Sit the fuck down. Your favorite band was Real Friends six years ago. You don't get to have an opinion now. Listen, like I've said on many episodes of this year, there is literally no way the success of this album can hurt our world. Do you realize how many doors this will open for this sound? Get your head out of your ass and shut the fuck up. I always feel weird when I go off on the podcast now and I'm literally just yelling into a mic by myself, but damn it, you people fucking suck and you suck all the fun out of everything. But back to the album. Nearly every song has a traditional pop punk element to it. Forget Me Too with Halsey is the obvious standout. It burns with the same energy you felt the first time you heard pop punk in the early 2000s. And then scene queen Halsey comes in and absolutely murders her verse. Girl, we seriously need a pop punk EP ASAP from you. All I know with Trippy Red is probably the least traditional the sound gets on the album, but it still fits so well, and it's cool to see Trippy in this environment. He's also been teasing an emo rock album for over the last year or so, so hopefully we get it soon now that this is out and it's doing well. Kiss Kiss feels like an emo Goldfinger song. It makes sense when you keep Travis Barker and John Feldman close to you. Drunk Face has a big emo pop punk vibe. World War II is a total throwback Blink-182 punk jam. You can feel Barker all over this one. Concert for Aliens is just pure, unadulterated pop punk. And Dior sounds emo as hell and meshes really nice with Kelly. This is an incredibly solid album that does what it's supposed to do. It brings classic pop punk to the forefront of a 2020 landscape. Not a single artist has pulled this off yet, and Kelly just did it essentially without a hitch. I'm at a 9 out of 10 on the album's regular version. Now, let's talk about first week sales. Like I've said, the success of this album is important for our world. The record was initially forecasted to do a total of 80 to 90,000 units first week with it being pretty much split in half by traditional sales and streaming equivalent units. 
This put it in a tight race for number one with a couple other releases, so I knew they were going to pull some tricks this week to push it over 100,000 and hopefully snatch a number one. Late Tuesday night, the forecast updated to 85 to 95,000 units. Then at midnight on Wednesday, he dropped the deluxe edition of the album that I mentioned earlier. So this has four new songs on it, one of which is called Body Bag that samples Fall Out Boy's Dance Dance and features both Burt from The Used and Youngblood, and then his Misery Business cover and an acoustic version of Bloody Valentine. This is the first week trick. The streams from these songs should push the total over 100,000 units easy and give him the number one. I literally cannot wait for these sales to come in and get this. We literally never get this in the scene anymore. Because it's going to debut inside the real top 10, not a bullshit chart that scene bands love to say they got on and make it look like a big deal. We're going to get the official numbers a day early on Sunday afternoon this week because that's when Billboard reports the top 10 of the top 200 every week. So we'll see. This album was so much fun to experience. It was literally all over my social feeds and everyone I talked to said it's all they saw on their feeds on release day too. This was the scene's biggest moment in a long fucking time, and it just felt so good to have people come out of the woodwork and just have something to talk about and be excited about again. I cannot wait to see what doors the success of this album opens for the scene, and I cannot wait to hopefully have more moments like this because of it. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Note to Scene. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any requests for deep dives, email me at notecene at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, follow Notecene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.